Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini and in this episode we're going to talk about an issue that everyone will have to deal with at some point, death and grief. The loss of a family member or a friend can be painful for many people, but it can also be very hard for children to deal with, especially children with special needs. Many kids don't know how to express what they're feeling emotionally, let alone if they have special needs that cause problems with how they deal with their emotions or can communicate even on a normal day. Well, our guest for this episode is Kelly Ati, who's the program director for Ellie's Place in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ellie's Place is a healing center for grieving children and teens. They provide counseling and group therapy to help kids deal with the emotional roller coaster of death and grief. I started off by asking Kelly how she got started with Ellie's Place and how Ellie's Place came to be. Um, Ten years ago, I was living in Lansing, where the main branch of Ellie's Place is, and that branch was founded in 1991 by Betsy Stover, who was Ellie's mom. Um, Ellie died and left siblings behind, and they didn't want to go to counseling, and so she looked around the country for help, and she found the Dougie Center in Portland, Oregon. It was one of the first children's grief centers. And she, in a very grassroots effort, brought together the community to create this Center for Children's Grief to provide support for um, grieving kids. So that's a little bit about Ellie's place. Um, So I started there 10 years ago. I had been previously a therapist in a residential treatment center for abused and neglected kids, and I loved that work. But it was very intense, and I was ready to start a family, and... So I was looking to, you know, I thought I was selling out. I thought I was leaving the most important work and selling out. But Mm -hmm. when I started at Ellie's Place and shortly after I started, I was in the preschool kindergarten group. We start serving kids at age three. And a little boy said that his dad had died. And um, the kids were sharing an activity. And another little boy on the other side of the circle walked across the circle in the pre group and hugged the other little boy and said, my dad died too. And I just thought how amazing that is. And it moves me still 10 years later to think about that. But where even if kids are in individual counseling, they're they're not going to get that. They're not going to get being with other kids who get it and not, you know, having their feelings of isolation decreased because they see that other kids their age have experienced this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized that grief touches everyone. Um, you know, if you live long enough, and most of us don't have to live very long to, to be impacted by a significant loss. And for kids, it truly is um, a major life event, um, just like it is for adults, but they have more limited um, coping skills and ability to understand, and and it can just significantly impact their life. So while I came to Ellie's place in kind of a, I wouldn't say haphazard, but, you know, I was just, it appealed to me, and I started, I found a real passion for the work because of how deeply children can be impacted by by grief and grief is so common um, for kids so right well let's talk about that then because I can imagine you know death is hard enough for adults and grief and all that but it's got to be even more challenging for a child right so you know for adults 
we often feel very isolated. Grief can kind of make you feel a little crazy sometimes and, um, you know, feel like other people don't understand. But for kids, it can be even more so. They don't have the same cognitive tools often to make sense of the death. Um, depending on their developmental stage, they have a very difficult time grasping until about up to age seven that death is permanent and irreversible and um, universal, that someday everybody will die. And so that in and of itself can create fears and worries um, and misunderstandings that can contribute to you know, death feeling like a trauma. They might, because of magical thinking, which is a common um, developmental factor where kids think maybe they had the power to influence something, they might feel a lot of deep-seated guilt, think maybe something they did or said or thought caused the death. Um, So for kids, you know, another big issue is they don't want to feel different than their peers and having you know, a sibling or or a parent or even sometimes a grandparent who is very um, involved or a primary caregiver makes them feel very different from their peers and they don't know how to talk about it. They don't have the same, um, you know, tools to to verbally express as adults do and so they're more likely to act out their behavior and feel isolated and feel different than their peers and have an impact on their self-esteem. So they definitely have some unique characteristics that can make it more difficult for them to grieve in a healthy way. Now what are what are some of the most common problems that younger kids have when they're trying to cope with grief? Um, you know for younger kids we very often hear about regression Maybe they're not sleeping through the night anymore or they're, you know, regressing in their potty training, things like that. Even for older kids, we quite often hear that for a period of time they're, you know, wanting to sleep in their parents' bedroom again or not wanting to sleep alone. That's very common. Um, While it's not necessarily, you know, absolutely to be expected, it's very common to see um, grades decline school behaviors decline, sometimes isolation from peers, things like that, that would be common, com- some common things to see in kids. We also hear kids quite often report disturbances in appetite. Um, you know, they're not, they're not eating as well. Some of those basic things, eating, sleeping, those, those are disrupted, just like for adults. Right. Um, but, you know, for kids, sometimes it can be more of a challenge because then they have, you know, then the parent wants them to sleep through the night and that, that's a stressor for the family and, and all of that. Right. Now, well, how about teenagers? Of course, they have different situations than younger children with dealing with death. What are some of the typical things that teens would talk about in the meetings? I think, you know, not wanting to feel different from peers is a very common Thing for teens, um, and teens don't want to go to individual counseling, and they oftentimes don't want to talk to their parents about it. Sometimes they do, you know, that I'm making a generalization here, and there's always exceptions to that, but quite often they are more wanting to talk to peers, and so being with a group of kids in a support group like at Ellie's Place where they know they already have this common bond and they know that their peer is going to get it as opposed to going to 
school and other kids, either they don't know what to say, they don't have the tools to respond in a supportive way. Um, so teens are often likely to um, experience disruptions in their friendships. They feel like, you know, other kids don't get it. They don't want to feel different. Um, sometimes they have a lot of role changes when a significant death has occurred. Maybe they're having to step up and help with their younger siblings quite a bit or help with the housework more. And so, you know, feeling that life isn't fair and all of that um, is a common theme as well. Um, you know, adults, uh, people who are trying to cope as best they can, especially when death is sudden, and they may not always notice that their kids are grieving well. What can parents do to make sure that they're staying aware of what the kids are going through and what kind of warning signs are there in case things are starting to become a little uh, problematic? Sure. I think this is a very common thing. It's difficult as a parent being caught up in your own grief to also always be tuned in to how the kids are doing. Um, and kids, from very young to teenagers, a very common theme we hear is that they don't want to share with their parents because they don't want to make their parents sad. They feel kind of protected, protective sorry, of their parents. You know, when I, when I talk about dad dying, mom cries. And so they will withhold that. Um, so I think that, you know, for parents, just needing to role model, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to cry, you know, kind of that healthy expression of grief, to be able to role model that for the kids that we can talk about the person who died. We, we can cry. If you're having a bad day, that's okay. I've had bad days too. And, and kind of putting it on the table that we can talk about hard things in our family. Um, also, you know, one thing that, you know, grief, children's bereavement research is kind of an infant field, but one of the themes that is coming out is that for an adult to say to a kid, even if the child never takes advantage of it, for them to consistently say, I'm here if you need me, I'm here, just knowing that even if it's not the parent, but maybe it's another trusted adult in the family, um, you know, I am here if you need something. I'm here if you need somebody to take you to soccer practice or or to talk about this with um, and just just consistently giving that message. Kids communicate that that's one of the most helpful things. Um, younger kids, as well as sometimes teenagers, just need to know some of those really concrete things. How are my needs going to get met in the middle of this crisis? You know, kids will, as is developmentally appropriate, you know, want to know, well, but who's going to tuck me in? And, who, you know, who's going to um, take me to soccer practice? And, and who are going to continue to do these things for me? So even if it's not a parent who died, maybe the parents are grieving and they need you know, aunts to come step in and, and help them with meeting kids' needs and to communicate the plan to kids so that, you know, we've had this loss and our family is really sad, but we have a plan for who's going to help us. And Aunt Sally is going to take you to soccer and, you know, kind of communicating with them. And the last thing I would really advocate for is to give kids age-appropriate information Kids don't always need all the details about a death, 
but they do need the age-appropriate truth, and giving them that can really help alleviate anxieties for the kids um, and help them to feel a sense of control um, for kids where in the absence of information, they might think up things that are even scarier than the truth. Um, so just having that open line of communication, continued support offered can go a long way. Wonderful. Now, you know, um, of course, after a death, regardless of how sad you are, life does have to go on, and kids are going to go out into the world. They're going to have encounters with people, and sometimes people who are, you know, acquaintances or even total strangers can say some extraordinarily dumb and not meaning or sometimes meaning to hurtful things to kids who are grieving. Sure, and what are, what are some of the things that people should not say when they're encountering a child who is grieving? Sure. Uh, you know, things that kids say often that are not helpful or report to us that people say that are not helpful. Um, I know how you feel because uh, we don't, you know, usually really know how somebody else feels. Right. Um, they're in a better place quite often, kids and adults, just wish that they were still with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, well, and then also some of the language that we use can be really confusing for kids. Passed away, what does that mean? Right. Um, sleeping, we lost them. Younger kids can be very confused by some of that language, so we advocate for people to use the words death and died and mm-hmm. explain what that means, that the body stopped working. Um, you know, but in society, we've kind of been conditioned to say say those certain things. Um, it's, you know, it's for the best. God needed them. Um you know, I know how you feel, those kinds of things are some things that can can be hard for anybody who's grieving, let alone kids. Well, on the other side of that, what are some of the, the other better things that people should say to kids who are grieving? I think that kids, you know, tell us they do want their loss acknowledged, um, but some some better things to say or more helpful things might be, do you want to tell me about your person who died? And let them talk about it. Um, that, you know, not say, I know you must be sad, but I can imagine you might be having a really hard time. Tell me what this is like for you. Kind of having a teach me attitude, um, to the kid and let them tell you what it's like for them. Um, what, what can I do for you? Sometimes kids will have really interesting and concrete things that they say, but, you know, taking the cue from, from the child or teen, um, tell me what this is like for you. Is there anything that I can do? Is there, do you want to share a favorite memory? Things, things like that that engage and invite conversation instead of shut it down mm-hmm. or imply that you know how they're feeling. Because um, it's not the same for everyone. And so inviting kids to tell you what their experience is like um, can be very helpful. Now, for special needs children, uh, you know, grief can be even more challenging due to either inability to communicate or fully understand their emotions. What could parents do for kids who aren't fully able to understand everything that's happening emotionally? Right. You know, children who are special needs have the same needs as all of us in their grief. 
Um, they just might need to express it in, in different ways. Um, you know, some of these things, they're universal for everyone. So for kids who are special needs, you know, these are things that are helpful for everyone but might be especially helpful um, to use rituals. Um, the grief writer Alan Wolfelt talks about when there are no words, use rituals, and that's helpful for everyone. But for kids with special needs, you know, using rituals um, can be even more helpful. So using music, art, um, candle lighting, memory objects, having a group of objects together that remind them of the person who died, such as photos, clothing, articles, et cetera, um, for them to have as comfort items, um, letting kids choose you know, what their comfort items are from the person who died, helping the kids to write a story about the person who died, um, helping them identify nonverbal ways to acknowledge the death and um, keep the memory of the person who died, whether that is, um, you know, just having a photo scrapbook or you know, helping them to put into words, to write a story, things like that. But they also need to be able to tell the story of their grief, tell the story of their death to make sense of it, just like other kids and adults do. Now, on the Ellie's Place website, there's information about the problems that can happen when a child who's grieving is not given help to deal with their emotions. What are some of the warning signs that parents should look for when kids are having uh, trouble and might be headed in uh, dangerous uh, emotional areas? As I talked about earlier, there's a lot of things that are within the range of normal to be expected, you know, um, for a period following sleep disturbances, appetite disturbances. Um, nightmares at times, things like that. A, a dip in school performance is within the range of normal. But when it's, you know, significantly disrupting functioning or there's what, you know, what I call red flag issues, thinking about hurting themselves, um, you know, risky behavior. Quite often for teens you might see risky behavior, um, you know, using drugs and alcohol, um, skipping school, um, aggressive behaviors, um, severe isolation and withdrawal. Those things are red flags that, you know, they may need a little bit more or or more than, you know, what what we would just expect of, you know, they're having a rough time. Maybe they need individual counseling. Now, uh, some people think that there should be a certain timeline for grief, that after a couple of months or maybe even a year, everyone should be over it and get on with their lives as normal. But that's not always the case. What do you say to friends or relatives who thinks that the kids should be all done with their sadness and move on? You know, that's really a myth in our society that grief is something that you get over. And, you know, people are quite often quick to say that kids are so resilient because kids kind of developmentally have a short attention span when it comes to sustaining intense emotions. We'll hear from parents who say, I told my child that, that the person died and they had a short cry and then, you know, they wanted to go back outside and play. and Or, you know, kids are running around and laughing at the funeral and, and things like that. And so that kind of, we think of it as kids are just so resilient. But 
really there's no timeline on grief. There's no timeline for adults. Um, and grief is not linear. And the kind of the old thinking of that there's stages, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance, all of that, really we think of it more as tasks that can be, you can revisit over time. Adults will revisit tasks over time. Um, you know, five years later, you might have the thought, oh, my gosh, I just can't believe that my mom is dead, even as an adult. Um, for kids, it's completely developmentally appropriate and healthy for them to re-grieve, <clears throat> excuse me, re-grieve as they reach new develop, developmental milestones and developmental tasks. For a kid, for who, for who example, their mom died when they were five, when they're 16, that's going to mean something very different to them. Um, it's going to, they're going to see it in relation to themselves in a new way. They're going to have new realizations about it. And it's hard, and maybe they will need support at that time. We have a lot of families who attend the death, attend our support groups years after the death because um, the kids are having a hard time. Um, that's quite quite common. But it's it's also healthy because we want kids to be able to reintegrate what the loss means for them now as, as they gain new coping skills, new cognitive skills to make sense of it, um, a new understanding. Um, it's, it's to be expected and it's healthy and they, they may need support at times as they go along. But, yeah, I think that we were, really work to dispel that myth of grief is something that you get over and... Um, you know, that the sadness should be done. Um, they'll be intermittently sad as as time goes on and, and throughout their life. And, and that is one of the things that is unique to kids' grief um, in terms of their development, that they, they will keep continually revisit that as they as they grow and reach new milestones. Right. Well, you know, at every anniversary and every birthday is just a reminder of another year without that person. Right. And you you can't help but imagine what life would be like if they were there, and that that will bring on some sadness. For sure, even even for adults. Now, are there any other organizations in the United States like Ellie's Place that people don't, you know, for people who don't live in Michigan where you have locations or other areas where they can uh, turn to for any kind of help with this? Right, absolutely. Um, in, for Ellie's Place, we have branches in Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, Lansing, and Flint. Mm -hmm. And there are other organizations in our state who also do, do this. Um, in Grand Ra I'm sorry, in Detroit, there's Sand Castles and Open Arms. They both provide grief support for children. But for people who are looking at other states, the National Alliance for Grieving Children um, which is a association that kind of coordinates nationwide a lot of resources for children's grief. They have a website. It's www.childrengrieve.org. And they have a little tab right on there where you can click on Find Support and, you know, put in your zip code and it will show a list of children's grief centers in your state. Well, that's wonderful, and we'll get uh, links to all those sites on our website when we put up this podcast. Uh, any final thoughts about uh, what parents uh, can do to help their kids, not just, uh, of course, dealing with the immediate after effects, but in the long term, too, because for many kids and for many people, this is an ongoing issue. Yeah, in terms of resources, which we have 
anyone can call and, and chat with one of our social workers to get. We have book lists that, um, for different age groups and on different topics. That's one thing, um, making resources available to kids through books. Um, there are a lot of online resources, and that website, childrengrieve.org, is a great place to start. Um, another good resource for younger kids, even sometimes older kids, is um, the Sesame Street website has a whole section on kids' grief with videos that are great for explaining grief to kids. They have um, right on their website, they have free video segments that deal with grief and loss for kids. And we'll have links to all those sites, including Ellie's Place, on the page for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank Kelly Ati for taking the time to be our guest. And as we always do at this point, a reminder that if you like this episode of Special Parents Confidential, or any episode that we've done, please share our site with your friends, family, and all your connections on social media. You can do this easily with the social media buttons on our website. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Add us on Google+, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon, Reddit, or any of the other social media sites you prefer. You can also sign up for our email service and have new posts and podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox the moment they're available online. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Pod Directory as a free subscription. And if you have a moment, feel free to write a review about our podcast. Anything you can do to help spread the word about Special Parents Confidential will help us to be able to continue these podcast episodes. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.